I'm Matthew Woods, host of Leading Out of the Woods, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of My EdTech Life. Thank you so much for joining us on this wonderful Saturday morning or wherever in the world you may be, whether it's afternoon, whether it's evening or you're well into Sunday, wherever in the world that you are. Thank you, as always, for making my EdTech life what it is today. And I am excited because, again, it is Saturday morning. It is one of my favorite days where I get to have some amazing conversations with great education leaders that are in this space that are doing some great things where we've got creators, we've got educators, we've got education professionals, we've got authors. So, again, definitely excited. And you're in for a treat today because we have a great show. We have a fellow podcaster here on the show as well. He is also an educator, and now he is releasing his book next Friday. So now he's also added author to his list of things that he is going to be great at and, and is doing. So I'm really excited to have Elijah Carbajal today on the show. Elijah, how are you doing this morning? Hello, Fonz. Thank you. Uh, I'm doing very well this morning. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing great, Elijah. Thank you. And like I said, I'm just really excited about our conversation. I'm a longtime follower of your work and what you do on, you know, the social media space and, you know, your thoughts. And I'm always about learning from other great education leaders out there, such as yourself. And to me, it's an honor that you get to be here on the show today. And I kind of see this as my own personal little PD, but that I get to share with the world too as well. So I'm really excited about our conversation. Yeah, well, thank you. I, I appreciate what you do for educators in this space that you have. So I'm I'm happy to be here and happy to share the share the book with you and with everybody else here. Excellent. Wonderful. Well, before we get started, Elijah, just for any of our audience members that are joining us this morning or are going to catch the replay and the show who may not be familiar with your work, uh, can you give us a little brief introduction and your context in education? Sure. So I have been teaching here in the state of New Mexico, born and raised here in New Mexico, uh, currently working in Albuquerque. Um, this is my ninth year as an educator. Uh, most of my teaching career is uh, has been in general education in a fourth and third grade classrooms. In fact, the book um, really highlights, like when I say this, my story is in the book, it really highlights my story of those kind of gen ed years. Um, and then in the middle of like going through the whole like writing process and everything, I transitioned into a new role. And now I'm working as a Title I reading interventionist at a small school here in, um, in Albuquerque. Um, but my... My education journey has been kind of interesting. Um, I was one that you would probably not expect to be like, he's going to be a public school teacher one day. Um, maybe some some kind of service role. My my uh, my family, I have a long line of family members who are in the military. Um, I have a brother who is in the fire department. I've got an, a brother-in-law who's in law enforcement. And uh, so we just have this, this like, this side to us of like service, but there was also a teaching side as well, where my mom was a public school teacher. My grandparents were, um, I have cousins who are, are current 
currently right now serving as public school teachers. And, um, but I was homeschooled. And so like literally my first time stepping into a public school classroom was my first day of student teaching and was just totally overwhelmed and shocked, but was like, this is kind of cool. Like, I think I could do this. Um, so I'll stick it out and I'll, and I'll go through with this. Um, the thing that kind of drove me in that direction to teach was, was one in part, my mom, I was homeschooled. Like I said, my mom was, a you know, a big inspiration in my personal life, but also my, my schooling and, you know, helped kind of shaped what I wanted to do. Uh, initially I wanted to be a music teacher um, and then got through, you know, was making my way through college and then was eventually convinced to switch and go into general education. Um, to me, it was just like, Hey, I just want to teach, you know, as long as I can teach something, I'm happy. And so, um, you know, fast forward, you know, here I am, it hasn't been a easy, easy process at all. There were plenty of times where it's like, I'm not, I'm not cut out for this. This is not for me. I made a mistake. Um, but you know, I'm thankful for, you know, the mentor teachers in my life, you know, I'm thankful for, you know, my wife, who is an educator, uh, my family for all their encouragement throughout the years. And, you know, just the the PLN that I've made uh, with folks like you and, you know, other folks on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all that. So um, all of that has kind of shaped me, helped to shape me into the educator who I am today. Excellent. Well, that's such a great background. And like you said, you know, I, I think that maybe that's where you know, coming into education, it just, even though, like you said, you have a line of, you know, family members that are in the service, you know, whether it's military, you know, and so on. But I guess that idea of servanthood, you know, being a servant leader and serving your community in this capacity where you're really reaching out to the younger generations and trying to help them, you know, either break any cycles, you know, and just continue to move forward and be successful. So I just kind of want to go back a little bit to your first introduction into education. Like you said, you know, you did your student teaching. That was the first time that you got introduced to education. Uh, at that time, you know, and you said, okay, you know, this is what I want to continue to pursue. But what were some of the the things that you wish you knew prior to getting or stepping into this role that might have helped you a little bit uh, move further along in the beginning? Some of the things I wish I knew. Um, I wish I knew how tired you would be at the end of the day. <laughs> like, honestly, that's one thing that like nobody tells you is like how tired you are and how much like your feet hurt. So like as a, as a student teacher like that, like I went home and I'm like, man, my feet are killing me. I need to wear my comfy shoes. Uh, so that, like little things down to that, to big things, like you do more than, you do so much more than just teach. Like, you know, and that was one thing that our college professors actually tried to discourage us from was don't be the counselor. Don't be this, don't be that, like just teach, just focus on academics. Just like, you know, they were, it's very, very old school. So there wasn't, to me, it felt like they were the relationship piece was missing in, in some of that, but I'll get to that in a little bit. But that was one thing that I, I don't think I was told was just how much like non-teaching stuff goes into teaching, you know, how much you're dealing with, pro you know, problem solving, um, you know, conflict resolution, um, you know, uh, you know, family communication, you know, all these different things outside of just being in your classroom and teaching. Um, because when I'm in my classroom and I'm just teaching, it's, it can be all peachy. Right. But the other things outside of it, it's like, no, that still has to get done. 
And um, I, that's one thing that I wish they had kind of, kind of prepared me for a little bit more of just like, Hey, you're going to do a lot more than just teach, you know, and that's okay. Like, you know, you know. Yeah, no. And I agree with you, you know, coming in without even uh, student teaching experience, you know, it was just emergency certification here in Texas, mm-hmm. the alternative certification program. And I came into teaching, they're like, Hey, well, your transcript says you have enough hours to be a math teacher. So we're going to stick you in an algebra class. And coming in here, you know, at least some of the things that helped, and I mentioned it a lot of times, is just that transition from marketing, sales, and business into the classroom because now you're able to personalize the learning, getting to know your customers, and so on. But for myself, just as you, it was a lot of those extras that I wish somebody would have told me, like you said, you know, definitely wear comfortable shoes, definitely the level of communication and, and even working, not just conflict resolution among your students, but among your peers as well, you know, sometimes, you know, as, as a math teacher being in a classroom with 24 math teachers during a department meeting, talk about conflict resolution there and trying to solve problems and so on, you know, just making sure that we're all on the same page and really just having the the best of intentions, but not being able to communicate those intentions and make sure that everybody's on the same page. So a lot of those little intangibles. And then of course, you know, I, I think the the personalization and the the relationship building, I feel is something that is definitely something that needs to be stressed and you know now in in higher ed programs as you're coming into teaching that it's okay to build that community, which is something that I I'm going to get into right now because this is what the the whole conversation is going to be about based on your book and building that culture and you are really putting yourself out there pen to paper per se and then just bringing out your ideas your experiences so tell us a little bit about that as well too but first i want to know like where did the idea to really just put that pen to paper and say hey you know what i want to go ahead and write this book and i want to share this out how did that begin so the thanks thanks for that question the the idea for the book didn't come as like, hey, I want to write a book. Um, I was, I, I had attended the Teach Better 2019 conference, and um, that conference totally tr- changed the way I, w- I teach. Um, you know, just the things I learned, the folks and connections I, you know, that I made connections with. Um, but there was something there that spoke to me where they were like, just be true. It was Adam Welcome and Dave Burgess who made the comments, something like, be true to yourself, like, forget your haters, like, you know, just, just do you, like basically do you, you know, what's right and you go for it. And, you know, not that I have haters or anything like that, you know, in in my life or anything, but that, that part about stay true to who you are. Um, I was learning a lot at the time and um, was experimenting with new practices and, you know, new taking new steps to build relationships with students and families and, and even peers at school. And so a lot of what I was doing um, was just encouraged by that. And so I wanted to kind of document what I was doing and um, connect with other educators as well. And so I, I decided just to start blogging as a form of, of reflection. Um, after a few months, I noticed that there was like this, this theme kind of running through. And that theme was like, school should be a place that kids love to be at. Like, it shouldn't be this place where kids are just like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I have to come to school again, um, regardless of your grade, kinder through 12th grade. Um, school should be a place that kids are eager to get to. It should be that place of safety, that place of excitement, of, 
of fun, you know, and of learning and, you know, all that. And so I, I noticed that theme running through it. And my wife was kind of the one to give me the push to say, you know, go for it. You know, like you should like, this is something good. Like it's, you're not off, like you're not crazy, like go for it. And um, so when I asked her about it, you know, like, Hey, do you, do you think this would even work as a book? And she was like, I'll read it. So that was the courage I needed to kind of, to kind of, to get started with it. Um, but, you know, as far as, you know, some of the highlights of the book, you know, some of the things that I really wanted to get across to folks were, were things like relationship building. Um, that's one of the big uh, components of the book is um, there's a chapter in there called Let's Talk Relationships. There's a chapter called The Marigold, where we talk about building each other up. And so um, I really wanted to get that across in my book. There was a lot, there's a lot of messages and little ideas and principles in there. But that was one of the big things was like putting myself out there and, you know, trying to change school culture on, you know, in, within my four walls at my school and now trying to trying to do it on a larger scale. Um, I wanted to make sure that those chapters were in there and that those principles of, you know, and my experience of this is how I've gone about building relationships and this is what's worked for me. And, you know, this, this isn't prescribed, but like, the idea behind it is, is what I'm getting at. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that as like, if on a large scale that I was hitting things like build relationships, like build each other up, like make connections with each other. We're not just, and I say it a couple of times, we're not just robots programming robots, right? We're, we're human beings. We desire connection with each other. And when we have that connection, the learning connection is even stronger. So those were some of the, that's, I mean, just some of the reasons why I wanted to write the book. I wanted to impact um, education on kind of a larger scale than what I was doing. I, I noticed that what was, what I was doing in my classroom was working and I wanted to share that out with as many folks as possible. So the book is just the route I ended up taking. Excellent. Well, we definitely look forward to that. And I know it'll be coming out this uh, coming Friday mm -hmm. through Edumatch uh, Publishing. But let's go back a little bit to that conversation, you know, what what it is that you're putting into this book. And so I just kind of want to dig in deeper just as far as your personal experience. So let's say, you know, describe maybe like a first year or excuse me, new school year new students, you know, just for our audience members that are listening to what are, would be some of the basics because, and the reason I asked this is because right now there's a lot of districts that are hiring like brand new teachers as of like yesterday and they're just coming in and maybe they, they just don't have anywhere to start because it, it this is going to be all new to them. What would be maybe some of your best suggestions to establish or create that community and build those relationships mm -hmm. so it would you know it's going to look different in every classroom uh, based on needs and populations and all that um, but i would say one of the big things is to start by setting up some kind of respect agreement within your four walls um, not a list of rules um, i do not have rules posted in my classroom um, i don't I, and i don't come up with the respect agreement on my own um, some folks call it a vision. Um, I used to call it a vision of like, this is what we want more of, and this is what we want less of. And it sounds like, okay, we, this is just what we'll, you know, these are the basics of how we want us to act, but it's really what I get to when I, when I do the respect agreement is why, why don't you like being treated this way by teachers? Why don't you like being treated this way by students? Why, or, and then, 
if that's how we don't like to be treated, how should we be treated? How do you want me as a teacher to treat you as a student? How do you want your fellow peers to treat you? And then in turn, I get that opportunity as well to say, this is what I don't like about, you know, students when they treat me, you know, um, uh, this is how I prefer to be treated. And so it really builds a sense of community um, amongst each other and respect where it's not so much of a list of don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. It's this is how we choose to respect each other. This is how we choose to appreciate each other and work together. Um, even down to this is how we're going to treat the community supplies, you know, the classroom materials, the furniture, even like down to that. Um, and that becomes kind of the guide of how we, like I said, how we treat each other. It's our respect agreement. And so that has really, like when I set that up from day one, that kind of sets the tone of like, this is how we're gonna act and behave in the classroom. And this is how we're gonna treat each other, not just because Mr. C said so, but because this is what we've discussed as a whole. So it's, it's, it's more, there's more ownership with that. There's more buy-in and there's more community involvement. Um, which is where everything should start. You know, if before you teach, you should reach, you know, um, you should reach that child and, um, you know, make those connections. You know, you can obviously, a child can learn from you. You know, you are a skilled teacher, um, a child can learn from you, but they will learn more and those experiences will stick further if you have reached them first and you have connected with them on some kind of personal level before that. Um, so I really think respect um, is a huge part of where we need to start. And it doesn't start with, this is how I want you to treat me. It's how should we treat each other? What don't you like about the way you're treated sometimes? And then transition into that, how should we treat each other? Um, the other big thing I would recommend to first year teachers is make communication, um, set up some kind of communication with families. Um, our families are big stakeholders. Um, and I mean, obviously they're, they're the family of the child in your room. And so they're an important part of, of that child's life as well. Setting up that communication from the beginning is going to really help establish a good positive relationship with that family. Because if the first time that family is hearing, is hearing from you is, Hey, this child misbehaved what's that doing to the communication now the family thinks oh the only time they want to communicate is when my child is misbehaved or when something is wrong but if that first form of communication comes hey i met little johnny today and i'm so happy that he's here he was very respectful um you know thank you for bringing him to school on time i appreciate what you do you know working with him at home you know if that's the first line of communication you're going to have better um, support from your families. That's just what I've noticed in my own career. Like when I reach out first and frequently, I get more uh, support from my families at home, which is often where parent, where teachers can sometimes complain is that there's a breakdown of the, the connection at home. Well, are we communicating with home? You know, are we the ones taking the step to go out and make that connection and that relationship with the families as well? Or are we waiting for it to happen first? You know, I don't think we should wait for it to happen first. I think we should um, actively reach out to those families as well. 
you know, everything that you said there is wonderful and just great advice for first year teachers. And, you know, like you said, you know, before you can teach them, you can reach them. And I know we had Josh uh, Tovar here, also a great principal, also connections before content. Also, he's mm -hmm. great. And then, of course, uh, we had uh, Amanda and Mel, who is joining us also that are just contributing to the conversation here. And so these are all wonderful tips. And, and this is something that for some reason, I don't know, maybe in my eyes, I did do in, in the classroom, but now I don't see that happening as often. And sometimes we wonder, you know, why are our students not responding? Because I know that in, in our school district, and I'm going to be open about this, in our school district, they say, okay, hey, you know, the whole first week when they come in, we want you to establish that relationship, you know, reach out to your students, you know, build them, you mm -hmm. build that community, get to know them, know where they're from, you know, and just to really, like you said, set that kind of those, uh, the respect agreements and so on. But then what happens is you still have those teachers that, oh, day one, okay, let's open up our books and that's it. Or they'll do like a short little about me and that's it. As long as I know your name, we're good because I got to continue and go through the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, sometimes they wonder, well, why aren't the kids responding? Why are they not doing well? Well, because we haven't established that connection. And I truly am a firm believer in what you said as far as building that rapport with your students, getting to know not just their names, but where they're coming from, what mm -hmm. their background may be. And oftentimes what happens too that I notice is teachers from the previous year have already oh you're gonna get this kid and this kid is this and this kid is that mm -hmm. and then now all of a sudden you get them in your classroom and you know you you can fall into that or just say you know what i know that's what they're saying but let's see if this is true because i've also had the case where we've had students that'll come in and rotate through me and they're fine because I adjust their learning to what they need. Like maybe mm -hmm. there's a student that can't sit still for a long time. It's like, hey, no worries. You can work standing up. And then I would have a section where students can stand up and, you know, they're working and they're working quietly and actively. And yeah. then that student will go to the next teacher where they're sitting down in traditional roles the whole 90 minutes and the students, they just can't. And then, well, they become behavioral problems. It's like, no, they're not, you know? So it's just those little things to, you know, I don't know, just really pay attention to, and they can make a big difference in your classroom. What are right. your thoughts on some of those things? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And, um, you know, having that flex, I think teachers need to have that flexibility to work with students um, and their needs. So you brought up, you know, if they can't, you know, if, if this student has trouble sitting for a long time, let them stand. Um, I've got a stand-up desk or a table, stand-up little square table in my room where um, some of my students will choose to stand. Um, I've got another section with wobble seats um, where students will, most of the time students choose those seats they like to be able to kind of rock back and forth in them. Um, but just having that flexibility um, to their needs, um, whether it's physical or emotional or academic, like whatever the case may be. But the only way we're going to really get to know those needs is to actually spend time with the kids um, and to spend meaningful time because we can't always give up, like we can't give up our prep to go be with our kids all the time or give up our lunch every day, um, you know, or spend every recess with them on the playground. We can't make it to every single event. So we have to make sure that the time that we have, even in the classroom, 
um, is purposeful and meaningful. And we can make those connections through things like content, through discussions. Um, you know, I, there's a teacher at our school who does a show and tell where kids sign up for, it's not like a one day event. It's kind of like you can sign up for days. Like this is, these are days we have available and you can sign up for one of these days to bring in something and we'll just, we'll discuss it. Every classroom in our school has a, um, what they call a spotlight student. And they usually pick um, some student, you know, one student, um, either a week or biweekly to spotlight for the, for that week. And so the kids get to ask them questions. So this, so the peers are learning about each other as well. So um, there's, we have to make sure that we use our time wisely and meaningfully, um, whether it's in the classroom or outside of the classroom. Um, all those things lead to, um, lead to a healthy relationship with our students and our families. And like you said, you know, if they can stand up and get their work done, what's the big deal? You know, you've met that student at their at their level and what they need. And now that student's going to appreciate you in the long run because it's not you're forcing me to do something just to comply. It's, hey, you've met me where you you see my need. You see me for who I am and for what I need. And you and you support that. So mm -hmm. that, I mean, just makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, it really does. And it certainly does where our classroom was probably the loudest classroom in the fifth grade hallway. And I always had the assistant principal come in and my kids were always on Chromebooks. They were creating, they were all working in groups and that was their task. I mean, mm -hmm. to me, it was really, okay, no, the, we're going to do, there's worksheet work, you know, for an appropriate time, but now we're going to work in groups and their goals were always to create a presentation based on what they're learning and they're working on their collaboration skills. They're talking, they're discussing, they're all in the hall recording themselves using, you know, screen uh, recording tools and things of that sort, creating presentations. And I loved it because the students had a choice in the way that they wanted to present. And I just had a basic rubric for them stating, this is what I need, but you can present it in the way that you feel most comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And it was just amazing. You know, like you said, you know, meeting them where they're at, where they're comfortable. If they're comfortable either writing it out an essay, that's fine. If they want to go ahead and create a presentation, that's fine. And I, and I think that it can do so much when we're able to do that because I've seen it, you know, and I've experienced it. And then finally at the end of the year, my AP came in and said, you know, Mr. Mendoza, I'm so sorry for giving you so much trouble the whole year in coming in because your kids are loud, but I now see what you're doing. And she said, just continue doing it. You're doing a great job. And I was like, wow, like that was biggest compliment there just because again meeting the students where they're at mm -hmm. I, I want to share a couple of um you know comments here that amanda and you know in this section of conversation that we've been having amanda macias who's joining us she shares she says relationships can be built on cracked foundations and it takes time and patience throughout the year i really love that because again you never know what your student how your student is coming into your classroom i mean they could have been mm -hmm. broken from the year before their experience, or they could be broken from things that are happening outside of school. But it doesn't mean that that cannot be mended. And that doesn't mean that that cannot be better. One of the things I always said is, we're not all dealt the best cards outside of school. But I said, but for these six to seven hours that you're with me, I want you to be a kid. I want you to be yourself. I want you to be your 10 year old kid self mm -hmm. and have fun. And then I would just tell them, just go home real quick, 
do your homework real quick and just go to bed really early. And then that way, you know, maybe just get yourself out of those situations and then just come right back and be that kid again. But I really, that, that really stuck, Amanda. I really love that comment. Mel mm -hmm. also, she said, it's important to be consistent and continue building those relationships throughout the year, not just leaving it for the start and then say, mm, okay, we're good. So yep. that's something yep. that is amazing there. Yeah. I appreciate that. That last comment, especially, um, you know, in the book I mentioned, you know, there's a chapter called celebrating kids outside of school. And, you know, it's, you know, there's obviously, you know, like, I, I understand there's parents and families that, you know, teachers who may not be able to always do that. Um, and I provide options for, for still bringing in what they do outside into the classroom. But I mentioned that um, she, you know, that there's a spot where it's like, oh, I attended my one soccer game from the year. Now we have a good relationship. And it's like, no, like you got to, it's something you have to continually work on and it works, you know, throughout the entire year. Um, one of the things I like as a reading interventionist is I see kids, you know, the same, you know, I see the kids, some of the kids I've had now for two years now. And so I've had them from fourth grade and now I have them as fifth graders. And so I'm able to really continue with those relationships as well. But one other thing I do want to point out before we move forward is just that you can build, I want to, I want to kind of give this almost as a disclaimer, like working to build solid relationships will is not a guarantee fix for every single problem in your classroom. So there are people I've, you know, and I, at one point I was like, oh, if we just have a good relationship, the problem will be fixed. You know, that was at one point my mentality, but I've had students who I've had like really solid relationships with them and with their families. Um, and that child still had trouble regulating behavior. That child still had trouble, you know, getting along with peers and would still come, you know, be defiant with me from time to time. Um, but we had that respect with each other. So where it wasn't like a blow up argument of like, or a screaming match of, I'm not going to do this. It was, it was more of that, like, I don't want to do this, but I like, eventually I'm going to, because I respect you enough to, as my teacher, <laughs> like we have this relationship that eventually I'm going to do this, but like, there was still that hesitancy there. So I do think it's important to know that the, like building relationships isn't like, the, the silver bullet that will fix all your problems, right? The magic pill. Um, so it's important to check to make sure that our intentions are pure when we're building these relationships. Like, do we really want to build this relationship because we care about this student or just because we think, oh, somebody said, if I build a relationship, it'll solve the behavior problem. Like, no, we're in it for the kids. We're in it to make connections for humans connecting with other human beings here. So yes, we want to see those behaviors improve. We want to see some of those things um, that a child may be struggling with to improve on, but we need to understand too that like our intentions matter and, and we need to have pure intentions when we go about doing that. And you know, I love that you said that too. Uh, that really is good to note as well, because like you said, it, the kids can, the they'll they'll smell right through it. They'll see it, you know, mm -hmm. they can, they can tell like, you know, are you being real or is this, you know, just something that you're trying to do? And, you know, one of the things that I remember hearing some teachers say too, as well, they're great teachers. They're like, you know, students are going to give back what the teacher gives to them. 
you know, as kind of like that reflection. So, you know, those are things to kind of even consider too as well, you know, as you go in through teaching. And we know that teaching has changed significantly, you know, in the last couple of years, going from brick and mortar to virtual and then back to uh, brick and mortar and so on. And the learning styles have changed, you know, due to that gap. And then, of course, we've got students that are coming in too that may not be at that level, you know, because they were in first grade when, you know, COVID hit and then now they're in third grade and they're missing on certain things. And sometimes I think it's just, it feels very overwhelming and even for the students as well. But I think, you know, we have to really do try our best. And I, I love everything that you said, you know, and trying to just to build that better environment can go a long way later on. And I always saw it as a return on investment that even mm -hmm. though I may not start on the curriculum right away, week one or even week two, but that investment in time to get to know them and really, really like, you know, uh, get in with them as far as, you know, as a group and knowing their family later on when I had to teach, it was easier for me to bundle stuff and everything because the return on investment was there. It was a lot faster. The the discipline was there. The expectations were there and so on. So at least those were some things that did work for me, but definitely it all comes back to the root of building those relationships. So mm -hmm. that's great. But thank you so much for sharing, you know, on that and sharing your experience as well as I always love to hear. And now that you're putting it in the book, I'm definitely very excited about that. And again, don't forget, it's coming out next Friday. And so we're definitely excited. Make sure that you pick it up. And then that way you can go ahead and, uh, you know, see what Elijah shares with you all through his experiences and things that we can definitely think about, you know, take in and maybe sprinkling it on to what we may already be doing in our classrooms and slowly rolling it out and see what kind of change or positive change can come from that. So I'm excited about that. Elijah, also, I want to talk to you a little bit because I know that you are a fellow podcaster as well. So I want to talk to you about, about talk to you about your podcasting journey as well. Can you tell us about your podcast when it first started and again just the idea that sparked or the moment that sparked uh you know in you to say hey let me put myself out there you know through podcast yeah sure so my podcast actually started during the during the pandemic um i think it was like I want to say, I can't remember the exact date. I'd have to go back and look, but I want to say it was like December, 2020. Um, sometime around then um, I launched my podcast, the shut up and teach podcast. And um, you know, the reason for launching it, you know, like I said, I was blogging at the time um, and I wanted to start, you know, I, I was making connections, but not on, the, not on a scale that I, that I was hoping to make. And so I decided to, to start podcasting. Um, I thought, you know, I'm going to transition out of, out of the blog and into the podcast. I have blogs still occasionally, but um, I switched and transitioned over to the podcast. And so that's where my energy is focused. I started it in part to make connections. Like I, the, that was the, one of the big things um, was I initially was like, I'm just going to start off just solo episodes, just like reflections and um, still do a couple of those every now and then. Um, but I'm, I transitioned more into interviewing guests because that was the whole point of it was I wanted to um, make connections with other educators, but then also highlight what other educators are doing. Um, there is um, 
you know, it's, it's my mindset that teachers are all on the same team here. Um, you know, I love being part of a, of a large PLN on social media. And so I, I've been just blessed and been touched and impacted by so many educators that I want to share those educators um, and their stories and what they're doing with as many people as possible. Um, of course, I've interviewed some authors who have books, you know, that were coming out at the time. So I wanted to make sure that I could, you know, help promote them and, you know, kind of spotlight some other people as well. Um, so that was that was kind of one of the big reasons behind it was making those connections and all that. Um, like blogging, it was another chance for me to to kind of document my reflections and my learning. And so um, I wanted to be able to go back and actually listen to it because there's something powerful. Like what, like I love writing, obviously like wrote the book um, and I've loved writing. I really found out that I liked to write when I was um, like a freshman in, in college was when I really realized like, oh, I love to write. But there's something really powerful about hearing like hearing us like almost like it's almost like storytelling when you can go back and listen to your reflections and say, Oh man, I forgot I was doing that. Or, Oh, I forgot I learned that. Or, Oh, I remember this time. Like it's something powerful when you can actually li like literally hear yourself doing it um, instead of just reading your own words. Um, so I've kind of, that was kind of the big Thing, that was another one of the big things is I wanted to reflect on my own on my own learning process and you know my own journey as an educator and so um, by setting up the podcast I've been able to do that pretty well um, made um, I've had some really interesting guests on the show um, and really um, insightful insightful guests and have shared a lot of really great resources with everyone so um, yeah Amanda thank you thank you for listening Amanda um we got to get you on the show too uh, you and fawns we got to get both of you guys on the show so um but yeah that's the, the those are two the two main reasons why i wrote that and then everything else that comes with it is just kind of icing on top nice and so my curiosity again maybe even for some listeners too as well is the title where mm -hmm. did the title come from yeah um, so the title episode, so the title is the shut up and teach podcast. And, um, that's one of the hashtags that that's one of my main hashtags that I use. Um, I also use a place they love book now. Um, but shut up and teach. Uh, so this, the backstory behind that is, is this, I was, um, at my school at the time I was working the one I was working at, I was, I was there about, it was a, probably an hour before kids actually arrived. I like, I'm kind of an early bird. So I got, and just happened to get there early. So I was going through the day and kind of planning out and like reflecting and looking over the lesson plans and just going like, man, this is like, I was just having one of those days where it was like, it was, it was one of those days where I was like, it, I, I don't want to be here. Like I can't be here. Um, my depression and anxiety were kind of heavy that during that time. And I, if I remember correctly, it was during a time like right around conferences, like parent teacher conferences. So it was busy, like grades were due, like everything was just piling up on top. And so it was just like overwhelmed. And um, so I looked up at the clock and I remember being like, okay, I've got an hour. And like the thought seriously crossed my head, can I make sub plans in an hour and be out of here <laughs> and go home? And I was like, that's not an option. That's not smart. That's not responsible. Like, and so it wasn't like this audible voice. I didn't say it out loud. It just kind of came to me mentally of like, and it was very calm. It wasn't like aggressive or anything. It was just, just shut up and teach Elijah. And um, 
so I went through and I shut up and taught, you know, I, I put my head down that day and just kind of like pushed those problems to the side. Um, when the day was over, I could go back and pick up those problems and look at them. And so I realized, well, that was pretty effective. <laughs> like, you know, if I can put everything, the negativity to the side, the bad attitude or any personal problems that would hinder what's going on in the classroom, right. Then I'm going to do that. Then I need to shut up and teach in that manner. Um, it's not, it's really not like ignore all your problems. It's not this toxic positivity, you know, stuff that's out there um, where it's like, no, everything's just great. Just shut up and teach. It'll be all right. Like, no, we are people, we have problems. Like we have real issues that we're facing, but some of those issues just don't have any place in our classroom. And um, that day, especially I was, like I said, it was a busy time. Like, you know, conferences are coming up and kids are usually, by that point, it kind of burned. And they're like, I need, I need a break. Like I need parent teacher conferences and I need a couple days off after that. Like, so bringing in that negative attitude, I know would have brought down their, their spirits as well. So I was like, I, I know I can't do that. So I have to leave it alone. I can deal with it after school. I can deal with it then. But right now my kids need all of my focus and they need all of my attention and energy. And so that's, that's in part where shut up and teach came from. And over time, it's developed not into just this put aside your bad attitude, but also like put aside bad practices. Um, one of the things, you know, again, not I, I didn't have any experience, you know, as a, as a public school student or anything, you know. And so what I had seen from teachers was this, this style of like lecture based teaching. And in part because of, you know, they didn't have resources, you know, all the resources and stuff the, the one of this school districts I student taught in was not funded um, very well. And so they didn't have a lot of resources. So the teachers just relied on things like lectures, worksheets, um, you know, some small groups and things like that. It wasn't all bad, but that's just what I knew. You know, that's just what I had seen. That's what I knew. So that's how I went in and, and initially taught was like, this is what they did. So it's got to work for them. And so, but that even that saying, this is what they did. And so it's going to work for here. Like that, I had to say, nope, that's shut up with that mindset. We got to put that aside because these are new kids with new needs. Um, and, you know, they have, you know, they're going to require something different, you know, or yes, I did this last year, but it's not going to work the same. So I need to shut up and do something different. Like, so, and, um, and lecturing, that was the big thing, lecturing and worksheets. Like, you know, I, I think, you know, the way it comes to me is not, again, it's not loud. It's not aggressive. It's not mean. It's just hey, we can do better than a worksheet, you know, hey, we can do better than this, or we can do better than that, or there's a way to take what you're doing and even amp it up a little bit. So um, that's, that's really what Shut Up and Teach was really all about. It's not this, you know, I, I really hope, you know, and I, I explained that a couple times, you know, <laughs> in episodes of like, this isn't toxic positivity, this isn't, you know, aggressive, like in your face, just like shut up and do it. You know, it's just like, Hey, sometimes we got to put these things aside for the moment to be there for our kids. I love it. You know, and, and thank you so much for sharing that, you know, and especially for 
our audience members that may not be familiar and then they get to hear that story. But, you know, I, I love it, I, you know, and I stand by it too as well. Everything that you said, you know, and thinking about my journey through education as well. It's, yeah, there was a lot of those moments, but it was just moments of just seeing like, hey, how can I improve this? And like you said, you know, it's just now it's what can I learn from my guests such as yourself? And then I take that back and say, okay, how can I sprinkle this on to what I'm already doing and, you know, make it better? And I'm always a firm believer, like in iron sharpens iron and, you know, being able to speak to guests such as yourself and many others, you know, that helps me sharpen my skills and be ready, you know, like I always say in season and out of season, but also to share that knowledge with others as well and just kind of change things. And, you know, like you said, amp it up, even if it's a little bit at a time, sprinkle it onto what you're already doing great and just make it awesomer, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Elijah, it, it's been an honor. It's been a pleasure. And thank you so much for just your sincere genuineness and just opening up about your journey and your book project. And it's it's called, can't tell, oh, excuse me, I didn't even let you share. Please share the title of the book with our guests, excuse me, with our audience members. Yeah. So uh, the full title is A Place They Love, creating a healthy school culture and positively impacting students. Um, I just, I, everyone has just been calling it a place they love for sure. That's the, obviously the main title. Um, so yeah, I'm super, super, super excited. love the title, love the pic, the cover and everything. Um, so if you are following me or not following me, you should start and you get to see all the, the, co the art cover, like the, excuse me, skip, I'm starting here, the front cover, of the book. So, um, yeah, hope you can do that. Yeah, definitely check it out. It is a great cover. I love the, the slow reveals that you had, you know, on Instagram and all of that. Yeah. So that was really, really cool. And I love it. And the cover really is just, you know, it definitely goes with you and I'm really excited about the content as well. So I'm definitely going to make sure I get, I pick that up. And you said it is going to be available this coming Friday, October 14th. Is that correct? October 14th, it'll be available on the EduMatch website. Um, it'll also be available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. Awesome. Excellent. Well, there you heard it first here, guys. So again, make sure that you check out Elijah. Make sure you follow him on socials that will be posted on our show notes as well, where you can uh, reach out to him on Twitter and Instagram as well to make sure that you follow his work. And of course, where it is that you can go ahead and get that book again as well. Make sure you pick it up. And, you know, I'm pretty sure that you can reach out to him with any questions as well, or just, you know, for, for anything at all. So, you know, again, Elijah definitely is a, a servant leader. Leader, you know, and, uh, you know, again, same way that I got him on the show was just simply reaching out to him and so kind and, and uh, to be here on the show. So thank you so much for being here with us, Elijah. Appreciate you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you, Fonz. All right. Now, before we wrap up, Elijah, my favorite three questions here, you know, that I always end the show with. So question number one, in the current state of education, what would you say is your current edu kryptonite? Oof. Um, okay, so this is going to sound a little strange, or maybe I don't know, but this is what I this is honestly what I'm thinking of. So there is like a season in the school year that is kind of like my kryptonite, <laughs> where it just seems like everything is due and like so much is going on um, that like for me 
personally, it just, it, like, it weighs on me, you know, my, like I said, I've got anxiety and depression, and I don't get bummed out to the point where I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, I can't go to work, you know, and all this, but, you know, it, it you know, those things do, you know, weigh on your mental state, so for me, honestly, it's kind of weird, it's kind of this weird f- season from, like, October 31st to, like, December, sometimes into January, where it's, like, this weird, like, everything's due i'm thinking like grades and mois and like you know all of our you know pdps and things like that are just due and there's a lot of communication that has to be sent home to families there's a lot of uh, data collection that i'm doing at this time of the year so i think all that can tend to weigh on me and then um yeah i don't know but i it's so it's the important work it's not necessarily that it's bad work or unnecessary work or anything it's just a lot all at once And so I think that season for me would probably be like my kryptonite if a season of time could be kryptonite. Yeah, no. And that's a great answer too, because I can definitely see that, you know, happening. And right now, even myself thinking about some of our our teachers in the classroom and especially high school, because since we have block schedule, you know, they, they only see the students from the beginning of the school year, which started what August and then in December, like that's it, they're done. So they have to go quick. And again, grades, um, you know, reports and everything that goes along with it. Yeah, I can definitely see that as being a a season that can be tough as well. All right. So question number two, Elijah, if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? Man. I think, man, there's a lot that comes to mind. Um, I don't know for sure what would, what kind of image I would use yet. Like, but it would definitely be something dedicated to mental health and mental well-being. Um, you know, and something really, you know, honestly, something bold, like, I, 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 I'm not even going to try to come up with a phrase off the top of my head. Cause I, I like when I, I write poetry a lot and I, and I tend to reflect, I need to reflect on my words and all that, but something very positive in the mental, as far as like mental health goes and like uplifting folks. Um, right now there's this phrase that, and I'm not going to say this would be the phrase that I would use, but it's one that I saw on this jacket where it says you deserve to live. And it was just like something very bold and simple and just like, bam, just like in your face, but very like direct and to the point where it's like, oh, I, like, yes, that's true. <laughs> so I don't know, something I can definitely see something that promotes the mental health, that promotes mental well-being, um, especially as we're driving through and like driving around. I tend to get a little stress, especially here in Albuquerque, because I think we all forgot how to drive during the <laughs> pandemic. And now we're trying to figure it out again. Yes. <laughs> so there's times where I'm like, but then if I saw like a billboard that was like, it's okay, <laughs> you know, or something like that, I'd be like, okay, just take a deep breath. <laughs> yeah. No, and and trust me, it's not just in Albuquerque. <laughs> yeah. You know, even here, it, I think yeah. it might be everywhere. It's just like, wow, crazy. Yeah. All right. And the last question, and you know what? I'm going to kind of change things up now because normally I say, okay, you know, what would be one question you'd like to ask me? But because there might be a chance where I may be able to be on the show, I'll let you ask me that question on the show. But here's one question I'd like to ask you. So I'm going to switch it up here and says, and the question is, what is one question you wish I would have asked you 
and how would you have answered it? Okay, so you okay, so you want me to answer that question there, or you want me to ask you the question? No, no, no. This is a question for you. Okay, like, this if, is a question so for you. yeah, so for example, it's like, what would be one question you wish I would have asked you today that maybe it, it didn't come up, and how would you answer that hmm. question? I think, um, I think one that I've been going back to now that I've been thinking about, like I asked it on the last, per the last interview that I did for my show, I asked this question. And so this is one that I, I think I would like to, to address is what's a, what is a educational like setback that you've had and what lesson did you learn from it? Um, and so if I was asked that question, if I was asked, you know, what's an educational setback? Um, you know, I look at the, you know, there's, there's kind of a lot, you know, I think that I could pick from <laughs> because there was a lot like, you know, I, I stumbled and, and had to make a lot of mistakes and grow. Um, there's one that immediately comes to mind now where I've had to learn you know, the hard way about like, you don't like yelling at kids doesn't really accomplish much, you know? And so I, I think back to a time where there was this kid and I, I can't, I remember it was something to do with technology. Like there was a glitch with the technology, but it was something that came across like the way it was said to me, I misread it. And it sounded like he had messed up the thing, the tech. And so I just, I lost my cool and was all over him. And then it was like, oh wait, no, this is actually what happened. And it was like, oh my gosh, like I've just like screamed at this kid in front of his peers. Like I've ruined this kid's day, like what the heck? So um, I had to go. So what I did in that moment was apologize. Like that was the only thing I knew to do. Like that's what, you know, I was, you know, raised, you know, that's how I was raised. You know, you make a mistake, you apologize for it and you set it right. And so um, I apologized to that kid in front of everybody. Like, cause I, I had screamed at him in front of everybody. I could apologize to him in front, in front of everyone. And so that to me, um, it was that setback of like losing my cool and like, you know, blaming a student for something that wasn't even their fault instead of getting all the facts first. So obviously there's that lesson of like, do your investigation before you come to a conclusion, but also like, why, like, what was the purpose of screaming? Like, what did that actually do to solve the situation? And it, and it didn't do anything. Um, so I've learned that, you know, and I've also learned that some kids just get too much pleasure from screaming from me screaming. So I'm like, no, I'm not going to just not going to do that. Um, but the other thing that I've learned in that setback was the power of an apology. Like, that student turned like they, that student, I remember being a very hardworking student that year, um, squirrely, like kind of a turkey sometimes, but like was a really hardworking student and ultimately was respectful. And so, but like, I think back to that, I'm like, what would have, how would that have been different? How would that year have been different if I didn't take time to apologize to him? Or if I just kind of brushed it off with, oh, well, that's my bad and not an honest apology. And so I think that setback really taught me apologize immediately, you know, set it right, do it publicly, you know, so that your kids see you do it, you know, so you're modeling that for them as well. Um, but it just taught me like, be patient, like not everything is a student's fault, like, find out all the facts first. So yeah.
That's good. That is wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that, you know, because I know as educators, we have at least at one time or another have gone through those um, situations. And of course, a lot of it too. Yeah, it is what it is. And but I love what you said. And I think in a very similar way, I have always been one of those to own up. And especially in front of students, if I make a mistake, uh, you know, putting myself out there and being vulnerable and apologizing, you know, sometimes that actually even helps more the classroom see like, hey, like, like this guy, this guy's a good guy, like this guy's trying to help. And this guy's trying to make things right by what he's done. And and it really, you know, sets the tone and you build those relationships and more of that trust. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing that, man. I appreciate it. Well, to everybody that joined us today, thank you so much, Amanda, Mel, Sherry, uh, Josh, who joined us in the comments. Thank you so much for contributing to the conversation. And Elijah, again, thank you. Thank you so much for this wonderful conversation and just really opening up and just sharing yourself and putting yourself out there for the world, you know, to get to know who you are. We're definitely very excited about your book release this coming Friday. So make sure you check him out. Make sure you follow him on Twitter and Instagram. And all of that will be put in the show notes as well. And to all of our listeners, thank you so much, as always, for making my EdTech life what it is today. We wouldn't be here if it isn't for all of your support. And we just thank you for just sharing our content. Thank you for finding value in our content. So please make sure that you visit our website at myedtech.life so you can check out this amazing episode and all other episodes where I promise you, you will definitely find something that you can sprinkle onto your practice to help you in one way, shape, or form. So thank you as always. And please make sure also you visit our merch store. We've got some new merch. We've got some new retro design. So you can go ahead and check that out for my edtech.live podcast. So that is our new design that is out. Check it out. Visit our store. And I want you to know that everything that you do uh, contribute to the store, it all goes back to the podcast. As you know, our mission, our vision, and our passion is to connect educators, education professionals, creators, one show at a time so we can continue to improve the education landscape. So as always, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. And don't forget, my friends, until next time, stay techie.